0: Welcome to the Spiritual Advantage Podcast where we discuss how to make a maximum impact with our lives by fulfilling our divine dreams with divine favor, like the great men and women of faith throughout history. I'm Sam Stone, The Light Keeper. You are the light of the world and I am the keeper. No pun intended. Let's begin. A Native American village has a tradition of sending young adults at about 20 years old, out to the world to fulfill their vocation and return to the village to retire when they are old, maybe around 60. Every spring, a new batch of energetic young villagers gather at the chief's tent and receive his blessing to enter the world, to make their dreams come true. The chief gives them a piece of paper and asks them to hang it on the wall wherever they go. The young people will go to the towns and cities based on their interests and ambitions. They unfold the paper and hang it on the wall, and it has only two words, fear not. The young people take their chief's advice and bravely pursue their dreams. They have successes and failures and learn their lessons. Some make a lot of money and some don't. However, as instructed, they all return to their home village to retire when they are old. Soon after they arrive at their village, they visit the chief to receive his instruction for their next phase of life. The chief gives them another piece of paper to hang on their wall. It also has two words, regret not, end of story. The moral of the story is that when we are young, our biggest obstacle is fear. That's why the chief reminds the young people to fear not. However, life is complicated. When we get old, many people regret the mistakes they have made and the risk they fail to take. Consciously or unconsciously, they spend the rest of their life guilt-ridden. Since we cannot change the past, the chief charges them with two words, regret not. The problem is, how do you regret not? It's easier said than done. You cannot just sweep your guilt under the rug as if they had never happened. According to psychology, Suppressed memories can harm your mental and emotional health. We cannot just brush off the past. As I'm now approaching 60, sometimes I review my life and ask myself to see if I have any regret about life. Of course, like everyone, I've done many regretful things. To err is human. And last time I checked, I'm human. The good news is, as Christians, we are forgiven people, and we can live a genuine regret-not-life without having to sweep our guilt under the rug because Jesus has paid the price for us on the cross. I also enjoy seeing many people among Christians who have peace like a river, love like an ocean, and joy like a fountain. They live a regret not life without getting haunted by their past. In fact, if I were the chief, I would not give two pieces of paper to them, but just one piece. I will give them all regret not from the very beginning because it will stimulate more profound wisdom and lift them to a higher level of consciousness. They will make better decisions so that they will regret not. Jesus reveals to us that our regret not life is enriched by the friends we make, particularly eternal friends, literally best friends forever. In today's scripture lesson, Jesus shows us two ways to handle regrets, the way of the children of this age and the way of the children of light. The children of this age make transactional friends, but the children of light make transformational friends. Jesus wants us to make transformational friends that will last for eternity. They will be your BFFs, best friends forever. So let's begin. Hi, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Sam Stone, the light keeper. You are the light of the world, and I'm the keeper. No pun intended. It's my calling to help you shine your brightest so that God is glorified in you and you are satisfied in God. The scripture lesson today is from the gospel according to Luke chapter 16, one to 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, "'What is this that I hear about you? "'Give me an accounting of your management, "'because you cannot be my manager any longer.' Then the manager said to himself, "'What will I do now that my master "'is taking the position away from me? "'I'm not strong enough to dig, And I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jug of olive oil. He said to them, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to them, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with a dishonest wealth, who will entrust you the true riches. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one who loves the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Luke 16, 13 This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Scholars claim this parable to be the most difficult to interpret because it's about a dishonest manager and Jesus sets him up as an example. The beauty of Jesus' parables is that he tries to shock us to the senses through exaggerations, contradictions, and paradoxes. His purpose is to raise our consciousness and spiritual maturity. Jesus' parables are much better than Zen Cohen's because they have eternal values. This parable uniquely throw us off balance to the extreme. Jesus began by saying, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Verse one and two. In this parable, the rich man represents our own conscience, our inner boss, so to speak. The manager is ourselves. Since we were young, we have been taught to be honest, conscientious, and ethical. But as we grow older, we find ourselves breaking the rules here and there, sometimes inevitably and sometimes intentionally. We all know life is messy. And it's not easy to make a living without breaking some rules or making some enemies. How many of you always drive within the speed limit? If you use the latest GPS device or Google Maps, It will warn you if there is a police vehicle waiting ahead of you. It will announce there is a speed trap ahead. The existence of such features assumes most people go over the speed limit. With better made cars today, it's hard not to exceed the speed limit. And we can safely do that, but it's illegal. We find it not harmful to break the laws here and there, but we all have an inner boss, our own conscience, debiting our moral bank account each time we tell a lie or break a rule. Sooner or later, all the wrong things we have done and the right things we fail to do become heavier and heavier in our conscience, and at some point it becomes unbearable. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10 The dishonest manager has reached the breaking point, facing an existential crisis. His inner boss is about to fire him. Jesus continues, Then the managers said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse 3. This verse reveals he's too old to start over and he has to live the rest of his life with guilts and regrets. Advising him to regret not doesn't cut it. Except for a few psychopaths and sociopaths in this world, no one can live in denial for long. We all need redemption. This verse is a metaphor for human struggle with guilt. What should I do? Is there such thing as karma? Is there such thing as judgment for my sins? I must do something to reduce or remove my penalty. Realizing he's morally in debt, he begins to sympathize with those who are in debt. So he came up with the idea to make friends by canceling other people's debts. The terms debt and sin are synonymous in the Hebrew scripture. So cancelling debt is equivalent to forgiving sin. He says, I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. Verse 4, he then reviews the account of the debtors and cancels a percentage of their debts within his authority. According to the Levitical law, a manager or a broker can legally cancel a partial debt, mostly from his own commission. As a result, he makes some friends who may take care of him on his rainy days. Notice that he has no authority to cancel the entire debt. It says, and his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Verse 8. Here you see why the master is his own conscience, his inner boss. It's his inner boss that is proud of his smart solution. In other words, his charitable deeds have bandaged his bleeding conscience. Then Jesus said, For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light, verse 8 B. Here, Jesus distinguishes two types of people, the children of this age and the children of light. Jesus describes his disciples or the believers as the children of light because he said, you are the light of the world. We are the children of light. The children of this age are everyone else out there or the non-believers Jesus is saying that the non-believers are in this case, smarter than the believers in dealing with their own kind. What does it mean? The non-believers don't have a solution for their guilt because they don't have anyone to forgive them. They don't have a redeemer who would pay the price for their sins. So they try to redeem themselves by karma exchange. I scratch your back and you scratch mine. The charity deeds done by the non-believers are mostly transactional because they expect what goes around comes around, or at least pay it forward. That's what most religions teach, do good deeds to accumulate good karma so that it will come around to repay you later in life. We know it's not a permanent solution, but at least it reduces the itch and ease the pain. It puts a bandage on their conscience. It's like treating the symptoms without uprooting the sickness. Even though they cannot achieve the regret-not state this way, they can at least attain the regret-less or regret-lesser state. Jesus says they are smarter than us because we are complacent and indifferent. As forgiven people, we are not as motivated as this dishonest manager who sympathizes with the debtors. Since we are no longer in debt, we don't know how the debtors feel and become indifferent. We are like the elder brother who doesn't sympathize with the tears of the prodigal son. Or we are like the Pharisees and scribes who don't sympathize with the tax collectors and sinners. But the Father does, but Jesus does. Not only are we forgiven, we have also been given the authority to forgive sin. Unlike the manager who could only cancel a partial debt, we are authorized to forgive the entire debt. Jesus said, if you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John 20, 23. Jesus wants us to sympathize with the debtors or sinners, and he has given us God-like authority to set them free so that they too can live a regret-not life. So Jesus urges us, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. Verse 9. What's disturbing in this verse is the term dishonest wealth, as if our wealth is earned dishonestly. I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but hold that thought for a moment because Jesus explains it later. Here, Jesus wants you to make eternal friends by canceling their entire debts at Jesus' cost. But it will also cost up some investment of time, treasure, and talent. By doing so, not only will they share a life of regret not with us, they will become our friends for eternity. So when you go to heaven, these friends will welcome you to their eternal home. They are your BFFs, best friends forever. Jesus also wants us to have a sense of urgency, like the manager trying to redeem himself from his crisis. The manager canceled people's debt to save his rear end because his pants were on fire. In the same way, Jesus wants you to feel the same level of urgency and forgive their sins as if your life depended on it. Then Jesus explains why we should not withhold our worldly wealth, but use them to win friends and influence people for the kingdom. He says, Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Verse 10 and 11. At a glance, it seems Jesus is telling us to be faithful in very little so that we can be in charge of more. But based on the context, he is saying that breaking a small rule equals to breaking big rules. If we have broken a rule during our path to wealth, all our wealth becomes dishonest. You might argue that your wealth is clean, but are you sure? Have you checked with your investment agent to ensure you have no stake in any company that may have done business unethically? Whether we have investment or not, if we check carefully, We are all directly or indirectly involved with the money from questionable sources. Jesus concludes the passage by saying, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Verse 13. As the children of light, we have chosen to serve God. His instruction is to serve God using our worldly wealth to make eternal friends, sharing the good news of grace. Since we cannot take our wealth to eternity anyway, still we can take these friends to heaven because they become our best friend literally forever and they will welcome us anytime to visit their eternal home. That's it for today. I hope you find this message illuminating as much as I enjoy receiving it from the head office. Until we meet again, keep your light shining brighter and broader and harvest the fruit of profound freedom. Amen. Bye now. Thank you for listening. If you would like to maximize your life and leadership by unlocking your spiritual advantage, Please feel free to direct message me on Twitter at Samuel Stone or visit SamuelStone.com. I'm looking forward to talking with you. See you on the next episode. Bye now.